right, guys. Uh, welcome back to the Glass House Traveled. My name is Mike Breeby. I am a certified bourbon steward and founder of the Fox Valley Whiskey Society and the Atlantic Coast Whiskey Society. We're going to explore and introduce you guys to America's craft distilleries, microbreweries, industry insiders, and professional imbibers to give you guys the inside scoop on the things you need to be drinking. Uh, don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, to click like and subscribe. Uh, we're going to be keep. We're going to go, come back with season two for this uh, for probably every every month or so versus every week because that got exhausting. Uh, so we're back tonight with episode one of season two uh, with Tattersall Distilling co-founder Dan Oski. Dan, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for, for coming on and joining us. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. And we've also got uh, one of our Patreon members, one of our, uh, our longtime supporters, uh, John Whitaker. Uh, John was randomly chosen from our Patreon subscribers to be the co-host for tonight's episode. Uh, so welcome, John. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here as well, uh, guys. How are uh, how are you guys doing this evening? We're uh, we're in different time zones, but yeah, I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. I'm I feel like I'm done with my day. So yeah. this is this is this is happy hour. I've been yeah. I finished my day like four hours ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got we've got an icebreaker question just so we can kind of you know feel uh, feel good going into this little interview. Um, so here's the icebreaker, and I'm going to have both you guys answer this, and I'll I'll answer it too. I can't really think of anything, but uh, what is the most embarrassing thing you have ever done? Dan, we'll start with you. Most embarrassing thing I've ever done. Um, you know, I, I'm going to keep this on industry related. Um, it was one of the most embarrassing things that um, ended up helping me in my career, but. Uh, I lied on an application to get a job in Cape Cod when I was in college and got a job at literally the nicest resort in like the nation. Oh. And um, when I showed up, it took about all of a half a shift for them to be like, dude, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, <laughs> my manager gave me one of those giant serving trays and put like weights on each side and he marched me up and down the kitchen. It was this long kitchen that had like, you know, the, the vent kitchen and all that in there. And so there's a bunch of French chefs there and he's walking behind me with a stick and he's hitting it and he's like on your left, on your right. Cause he's like, you clearly don't even know how to hold the tray properly. And, um, and so uh, he was doing that. And I'm almost in like tears. Cause I'm like being just humiliated in front of like these, like, well-renowned like French chefs and and uh, and that day he was like, well, you're demoted, you're now a busboy, and oh. um, and so I went from you know a server to busboy, and um, like I said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to learn. They basically broke me down and rebuilt me back up, and uh, I, I frankly probably wouldn't be here now doing what I do. I probably would have left the industry if I hadn't fallen in love with it the way I did my I went home I was so mad I was like said to my roommate out there I was like I don't want to go back tomorrow he's like dude if you don't go back no one will never no one expects you to go back he's like but if you do go back he's like they're gonna be shocked he's like so go and be the best bus boy that you know you can possibly be and I took my job so seriously that you know I think by the end of the summer I was head to expo and you know just really really kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and uh but I went from really humiliating to uh an amazing experience really well good at least he, at least he came back because otherwise i don't we might not have been able to to drink this stuff nice uh, john what uh john what about you what was the most embarrassing thing you've ever done so i'll keep mine semi-related uh i i'm originally from canada and so my parents still live there so i still travel back and forth visiting them uh one time on the way back i stopped in duty free and just picked up one of those like you know little personal kegs of like little bat blue or something like that. I don't even remember what, what it was. But when we went through the border, they asked if we had anything to declare. I was like, oh yeah, I've just got a keg in the trunk. And the guy's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's just a little keg in the trunk. He's like, I'm gonna need to pull off to the side. <laughs> he thought I was like riding through with a, a full keg in the trunk and just telling him openly about it. Oh my God. <laughs> So I, uh, so my most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me. So I used to, uh, I used to be the manager of a movie theater uh, many moons ago, and uh, at the beginning of of the busy movie nights, I would go up, or one of the other managers would go at the front of the auditorium before the movie would start and give an announcement. You know, turn off your cell phones, don't put your feet on the seats, don't you know, don't talk to the people, and just be quiet. You know. Um, so one of the, uh, it was it was the year that that Magic Mike had come out. Um, and me being Mike, um, I was like, well, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give my, my little spiel 
and it's a room full of women, or so I thought. <laughs> so I go up there and I get in front uh, in front of the entire auditorium. There's like 380 people in there, right? And you know, I go through my whole spiel. I said, uh, "My name is Mike. I'm one of the managers here. This is my movie." Um, and everybody started laughing. And then while I was giving my little spiel, I started unbuttoning like my blazer. I took my blazer off. I laid it on the back of the chair in front of me. I started, I took my tie off. I started, I laid that on top of the blazer. And then I started unbuttoning my, my like collared shirt. And as I'm doing that, I noticed there's a dude in the audience, the only one. And I, and I wasn't going to, you know, I was just going to like, you know, play around. And I was like, oh my God, that's a guy. And I was like, everybody enjoy your show. And I walked out of there. It was humiliating. Um, but I did it, you know, I did it to be funny and to, to kind of, you know, get the, get the mood, you know, set for the, set for the show. Uh, I didn't need to do, to do that because if you've ever seen Magic Mike and never been in an auditorium full of women watching that movie. They don't care what you're doing. They don't care what I'm doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Dan, before we, uh, we talk about the distillery and the spirits, let's talk about you and your background. Um, talk to us about the history, uh, uh, your history with spirits and what ultimately led to opening the distillery uh, with your closest friends. Yeah, um, I guess I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't spent my life in hospitality. And, um, you know, and that started my teens. I, I was in the kitchen um, and, you know, I, I talked about moving out to Cape Cod and things. When I was in college, though, I, uh, you know, had, had a busboy job and I hated it. And then uh, my roommate at the time got me uh, a job at the university catering at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, like all great things, it was just a complete mistake that I, I ever got to bartend anyways. He, one night, bartender didn't show up. He's like, you, you're behind the bar with me tonight. And um, and I was shocked because I'd been in the back of the house. I'd been busboy or in, in catering, which, you know, you're delivering dishes and, and pouring coffee. And I'd never really had that guest interaction before, you know. And so, like, people are like, all of a sudden people want to talk to me because I'm, I'm tending bar, which is a really, like, it, it was a wild thing to experience. I'm like, people want to talk to me, you know, I'm serving them drinks. <laughs> and um, it was funny because, you know, he gave me, like, a 30-minute, here's how you bartend. I'm like, okay, <laughs> how, do you, how do you make an old-fashioned? Well, in Wisconsin, you know, it's it's, it's a different way anyways. But yeah. uh, um, so We don't talk about those brandy old-fashioned. <laughs> right. <laughs> brandy old-fashioned sweet was the, the first drink I ever learned how to make. And when I moved out east, everyone's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, you know, I, I bartended forever. And, uh, you know, I moved out east. I moved back here. And um, there was a, a restaurant I started working at in 2007 called – it was called the Strip Club Meat and Fish. It was a, a restaurant based around, you know, New York Strip. It was a very farm to table. Omnivore's Dilemma, the book had just come out. So it was very like, you know, we need to know our farmers. Uh, we need to um, do everything, you know, very, uh, I don't know, sustainably, but also like very respectfully, respecting the animals and an animal husbandry and things like that. And so um, anyways, I saw what JD, the chef there was doing with, with the, uh, the kitchen and I want to do the same thing at the bar. I'm like, well, I want to make everything behind the bar. Um, so we're making bitters and tonic and, um, and I was just obsessed. I would stay up all night, like, you know, working on recipes, dumping them when they sucked and then restarting, 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 and, you know, discovering what, you know, shrubs are. And then, you know, throughout the course of seven years that just kept compounding and, um, you know, the, the, my own little recipe books kept getting fatter and fatter and, you know, um, it was really, it was one night in February of 2014. Um, and I just put in my, my notice and I had been there for seven years and I, I loved it, but I was like, I need a new challenge. And so, um, I was gonna go move to a different bar and my now business partner, John, who I grew up with, I've known him since we were seven years old. He came in with some friends and, um, I was just like, sit at my table, you know, cause I was, I was tending bar, but I always had two tables every night. And, um, um, like, I'm just going to roll it out for you. And so I start putting drink. I was kind of showing off cause I was at like the top of my game and I'm like, you know, I made this, you know, uh, grapefruit marmalade and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm putting these really cool cocktails in front of him. And, um, a couple weeks later he called me and we sat down and he started asking me questions about opening a distillery. Like, he's like, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, I think you should, you know, make a, an Amaro. I think you should make this. He's like, I don't think you understand. He's like, I'm asking if you want to be my business partner. I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Obviously he's like, you might want to, you know, check with, you know, your wife. Um, and I, I didn't, which 
basically ended that. But anyways, um, uh, he and I, I was just, I was enthralled. I was like pumped. I was excited a, that he was thinking about me, but I'm like, the point that he made, he's like, you've made everything behind the bar except for the booze. He's like, let's make the booze too. And so um, that was really the beginning of that. We, you know, spent the next year, I was managing a different bar um, called Ola Repa. It's very high volume. Are you trying to do high volume fast, you know, like, or like, are you trying to do like uh, craft cocktails really fast? And, um, and so kind of cracking that code was a huge thing that was so important to opening the Tattersall cocktail room here. Um, but yeah, we spent the, our nights, you know, making, making booze and, and basically writing a business plan. And, uh, you know, we were open here 15 months later after that first conversation, which was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, and that's, I mean, that was really it. It was just like, it was just the world I wanted to be in. I mean, I was, I was just about to leave the industry to actually go start organic farming. And when this opportunity came up, I was like, this I can't say no. A, I'm, I'm going to be working with one of my best friends, you know, ever. But B, I'm also going to be, you know, really becoming like the flavor maker I want to become, mm. if that makes sense. And so, I mean, that's just, it's always been such a huge passion is, is flavor. To me, that's like the ultimate form of hosp- hospitality. You know, if I'm bartending and I, you know, we used to like, you know, bottle ferment ginger beer and make all these different things. It's like, you know, and I might only make like this bitters or shrub for this one occasion it's like i put it in front of you and it's like you know, one night only but i'm gonna give you a flavor experience that's really really cool and to me that's like the ultimate uh form of hospitality so it's just you know, flavor is language i think so but that's yeah that's really uh, you, that's, you, you really took a i mean just kind of <laughs> dove in head first and just were like i'm gonna do from point a to, to point b all the way to point c and just all the way through yeah I'm just gonna i mean do everything on my own it, it was kind of fearless. And I think we had, you know, that, that's a, um, you have a little bit of youth on your side and I didn't have, I don't have kids. John does have two. So I'm like, he had a lot more risk and he left a, a really nice banking job. He was an investment banker before this. I'm like, I'm a bartender. And, you know, I had two other um, beverage companies at the time. Like one was a soda company that became a, a canned spirit uh, after we sold it. And then uh, I had like a, a bitters company. It was more of a, a you know, box that was like make your own bitters kit and like more educational um so i always was trying to like do something more but um this was like this was it and like we can do this let's nail it and uh you know we had no idea what we were getting into (laughs) i mean it's 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 wonderful in every way it's just like you know we're like we're gonna make whiskey and we're going to make gin and we're going to make all these cool things. Like, well, you don't think about distribution and, you know, all these like little things. And, you know, you, we were talking earlier about like right now, it's like the supply chain craziness of not being able to get bottles or even there's like a cardboard shortage right now. There's a pallet mm-hmm. shortage. It's like, how do we, you know, get around all this stuff to get the product to people. So, um, but it's exciting. It's fun, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's a shortage on everything. So you're just kind of, you know, trying to deal with what you can. Um, John, before we get to yours, Brandon White, uh, good question. What's your favorite Looney Tunes character of all time? Uh, I'm mm, going to say Yosemite Sam. I like you. I like Yosemite Sam. Marvin the Martian. Oh, Marvin the Martian. That, that's what I was going to say, too. So many. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Wasn't he the one like, I am Marvin, Marvin the Martian? Wasn't that him? Yeah, he was yeah. a destructor. He was a destructor. Um, uh, John, go, uh, John, go ahead. So, I mean, just looking through your website, even, I mean, you just have such a huge range of products and even just the drink recipes that you provide on there. I mean, I'm assuming that has to have a huge, like, I'm assuming that's influenced like a lot by your background as a bartender. Yeah, it it, it definitely is. And we also have a a mobile app that has about, I think 400 to push in 500 drink recipes in it. Now we haven't updated it for a while with, with all that's been going on with, you know, building a new facility. Um, But, and getting this one open after, you know, being shut down for 15 months. But um, yeah, I mean that the, the word I use the most is accessible. We want to make things 
and we want to make what we what we do here we want to make it accessible and so everything from you know most everybody knows what vodka and gin are they might not know how they're made and so we'll we'll, we'll show you if you come in for a tour or we'll, we'll tell you if you you know ask i don't know email me whatever um but uh you know certain things like the the amaro or you know what is absinthe and, and isn't that illegal you know like questions like that so like we want to make everything accessible and make it like not this kind of uh mystical thing you know because it's like you're using natural like grains plants etc and fermenting things and then like you know distilling them and so it's just like um but giving people cocktails i mean at the end of the day again it comes back to that flavor thing it's like well, how do I do this? And some of the cocktails on there are actually not on the website, but on the app are from customers. So they'll be like, Hey, I mixed, you know, okay. your, your whiskey with your creme de fleur and iced tea. I'm like, I would have never thought of mixing a floral or floral liqueur with, with whiskey. I just, mm -hmm. it's not, my brain doesn't work that way. And I was like, <laughs> that's wicked cool. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, Again, it's just showing people, giving them ideas. And and I think for me, the ultimate goal is to like, not like give, give you the idea, but then have you do something to it to make it your own. You know, I think mm -hmm. everybody kind of, you know, wants to do that in the end anyways. Like, well, this is my, you know, version of a Manhattan or whatever it is that they're making. And so, yeah. It's really interesting that you guys, you guys have an app for that. You know that yeah. that you know the the distillery has their own app for you know the the cocktails and that you know they're um, you know a lot of it's kind of built by the community. It's something. I mean, aside from you guys, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it's probably not the first time that it's been done, but I have yet to see it from any anybody else. Yeah, so, I haven't you either. Know, I'm sure your background in in bartending was kind of like well, you know, and an entrepreneur was like, well, let's you know do this. Yeah. And it's free. I mean, and again, it was just, it was, it's good exposure to a point. I mean, I think that some people use it and they love it, but again, it was just, to me, it was more of a service. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it, we're not charging anything for it. It was, um, it, it wasn't cheap. It also wasn't expensive. I was kind of helping a friend out who wanted to launch a, a company. And so he was like, he's like, this is how much I'll charge you to build an app. I'm like, let me see if I can make that happen. And then, you know, year later we've got a we've got an app and um, <laughs> it looks good i mean it's cool it's got like spirit of choice occasion how hard do you want the drink to be bit you can do that you can go in and search like if you're sitting on a bunch of basil you can just type in basil and a bunch of anything with basil pop up and it's 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 pretty cool and then like there's even like videos so like if you're like i don't know what a mime shake is or whatever it'll take you you click on that everything's clickable and so i'm like that was my instructions here i was like Dude, make it so that like my grandma can use it because I'm like, <laughs> she and I are at about the same like level of like understanding technology. I just, I, I don't, I'm not on Facebook personally. I don't really understand technology. It's just not something that really has ever clicked for me. I mean, I get excited when I, I heard yesterday they're relaunching the Atari 2600 and I'm like, oh, oh, we're talking. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, anyways, not to get off track. But yeah, they, it's just like, give people cocktails. Hopefully they make something of their own. And uh, if we're lucky, they'll send us the recipe. We'll give, we'll give them credit. Speaking of, uh, speaking of cocktails, uh, Tattersall has 11 spirits, 12 liqueurs and five bottled cocktails uh, in your portfolio. You started your early career with pre-making cocktails and bottling them to speed up service at the bar. So it's no surprise that Tattersall is making RTDs or ready to drink cocktails. Um, in a COVID world, do you see more growth in the ready-to-drink cocktail market? And is that something that you guys are going to be looking into uh, with your new location in uh, in Wisconsin? Yeah, we'll we'll keep growing it. I mean, so to answer the 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 piece about the COVID world, one hundred percent. I think you know people were missing their bar. They were missing you know going out, and they wanted a cocktail. Um, and so we launched two between just November and April, we launched the Manhattan and the, the Cosmo Bianco, which is a clear Cosmo. Um, we always kind of want to, you know, put our, our own twist on there in a way. So like, you know, the Cosmo is clear. Um, the, uh, the old fashioned is, is our old fashioned here. It's really well balanced. It's beautiful. I'm always shocked that like, um, that it's embraced as much as it is. Cause I'm like, you know, an old fashioned is something that's 
to me really easy to make but again it's like well do you want to go make a simple syrup too or or you know however you make it whether you mm -hmm. muddle sugar cube or use simple syrup whatever you do some people just want to be like hey i actually want to be enjoying the party i don't want to be making drinks all night at the party mm -hmm. or whatever um or you come home from a long day you just want to pour it boom done i'm good to go um but we saw a obviously a huge explosion with with uh ready to drink cocktails during COVID times and we'll keep um, building on that, we're not going to do anything immediately right now, um, you know, because we're, we're building our second facility in Wisconsin. And so there's just so much going on. And then we'd also just launched uh, the, the Cosmo Bianco. But um, yeah, I, I think um, for me, there's some things that I want to do. And it's like, how do we crack the code? And that's always like, you know, the challenge is what excites me. So it's like, someone's like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I'm going to try that. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that I find is really hard to use for or, or to work with, for example, is uh, watermelon. You know, like, and we don't use any fake flavors or colorings here. Or, you know, everything's got to be real fruit or grain or, or botanical. And so it's like, um, I, I've been trying to crack that code for a long time, you know, and uh, and then it's like, what product does that go into? Um, we'll keep building on that. We'll be launching three more things that'll be, I think, exclusives just for um, River Falls. That'll be like, I mean, and they're kind of cheeky, like um, Minnesotans will understand that like Blackberry brandy is kind of a thing here. Mm -hmm. And so we'll probably actually launch one out there for like, just like little mini bottles to go um, yeah. and, or for wedding parties or whatever. And a couple other ones on top of that. Um, and then I think by early next year or even late this year, we'll start thinking about what the next RTD is. Um, it'd be fun to get a canning line too. I mean, that's something that's not out of the question. There's so much you can do in carbonation. Um, another thing we, we did during, um, you know, well, I mean, during the, the shutdown was, uh, curbside cocktails, which mm -hmm. in Minnesota, we, we, we can mm -hmm. legally in Minnesota sell as a distillery, one 375 milliliter bottle per person per day. And, um, but so we, we created a bunch of different mixers, whether it was like a peach rosemary hops was one of them. Um, you know, we had uh, a pear, um, ginger maple one over the winter. Right now it's like a blackberry lavender. We have a, a rhubarb, we call it rhubarb pollens, but it's like rhubarb with honey and it's wicked amazing. I mean, it's really, really Sounds good. Like it. Are um, all these on the app? Because I'm pretty sure my wife is watching right now, and she's like, "Why aren't you making me these cocktails, Michael?" Well, they're, they're, those ones are not on the app, and so we were just like, "Hey, let's just fill in some time right now and and make these these you know basically mixers. It's, they're not alcoholic mixers. It's like, hey, you take gin and one part gin, and they're all meant to be like one part booze, two parts mixer, poured over ice, you're done. Um, and we didn't expect it to get as popular as it did. We we ended up. Uh, a grocery chain here, local uh, grocery chain wanted to launch them. And so they took three flavors and uh, like they did like a cucumber habanero south side mix that has like mint and citrus in it. And then uh, uh, I think they have a blackberry lavender right now. And then they have a strawberry pineapple, um, like vanilla chamomile thing too. It's called strawberry smash. Um, anyways, that blew up and we're still now trying to like, you know, prep for the bar here, distill, bottle, and then like we keep getting these huge orders every week. And so we're like, oh man, how do we keep up? Because we're making it from scratch by hand. Um, and so right now what we're trying to do is uh, get those shelves stable so that they can actually mm -hmm. be like sitting on the shelf. Then we can distribute them. Like um, when liquor stores locally say, hey, they want them. We're like, yes, the answer is always yes. Because our liquor stores are our partners, but um man it's really hard to keep up i'm not like the amount of like just sitting around peeling cucumbers deseeding them <laughs> chopping them i mean it's it's insane it's a lot of work <laughs> yeah so we 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 always uh i wouldn't say we do things the hard way but um we are trying to to get those to be shelf stable right now we're working with uh some some scientists and uh um we'll, we'll nail it down here soon um and uh yeah. Anyways, so there's that. I mean, we'll we'll be, we'll do that. We'll hopefully incorporate those into some rated drinks at some point. Um, I'm so. uh, I'm excited to see what you guys, uh, especially you know you with your 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 background. I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. And, and Nick, 
of course, is uh, so so when I come up, it sounds like I'll just drink cocktails the entire time. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> uh, John, go ahead. Yeah. So back in uh, in 2019, you collaborated with the Minneapolis Institute of Art and I'm sorry if I say this wrong, but the Wangenstein Historical Library of Biology right. and Medicine at the University of Minnesota to go through their archives, find and find centuries-old distillates. I know there were some spirits that were crafted at that time. Were there any other recipes that came out of that collaboration that you might explore in the future? Um, I don't know that we'll make them in the future. Like, I would want to keep the names, and it's probably really hard to put out a product called Plague Water. Um, oh. Um, <laughs> that was the one that caught my attention the most. Yeah, it, it was good. It was like a, it was almost tasted like a, a clear chartreuse that was unsweetened. It was really cool. It had some really awesome flavors to it. Um, there was aqua mirabiles. There was uh, saffron bitter. Um, there was one that we did actually launch um, to, and it was just limited, um, and that was the, the pear ratafia, which was really cool. You know, so it's lower proof. Um, we worked with a local farmer here who grows pears. Actually, he's our apple farmer for our apple brandy. And um, we made the, the pear ratafia with that. And um, it was great. Um, that was a really fun project. I don't know that we'd actually ever launch any of those just because um, while they'd be really fun for bartenders to use, I just don't see like them becoming something where other people be like, "Hey, have you had the new plague water from Tattersall?" It could be a good Halloween release. Yeah. Oh, it's such a cool. I mean, There's no good marketing for that. No, <laughs> but I mean, it, and it mixes with like rum and pineapple so well. I mean, like like you know, green chartreuse does, and so it's just like um, it was really really fun to make cocktails with that. We had a huge party here for like, I mean, it's for the public, but like some chefs came in and did some old, like, you know, I don't even remember. Was it 400 year old recipes, 500 year old recipes? Oh wow. The, the insane thing is they let me actually like touch the book and like, it, it was like the, the, or the books I should say, but they're, they're handwritten and I'm opening the pages and they're just like, you know, you had to wash your hands first and put on some mm. like gloves, of course, but I'm just right. like, I'm afraid that these pages are going to just break while I'm flipping them, but it was a ton of fun. We went crazy. I think we ended up making nine or 10 different ones from that book and you got to sample them at the party. I would love to redo that party though. That would be fun. I mean, as opposed to like launching it. Um, if you ever find the video um, on the, I think the, the MIA, or uh, they call it MIA now, the Minneapolis Institute of Arts was the ones who kind of helped along with the, the, the whole display at the museum and this and that. There's a video, and you'll see, uh, it's just, I was a hand model. I got to wear, like, those ruffled, like, you know, shirt for it. And, uh -huh. I mean, I looked, I mean, the staff got a kick out of it because they're just like, dude, you look so stupid dressed like a person from, you know, the 1600s or whatever. Oh and I'm like, why do I have to wear all this? Because they're really only filming my hands. I don't get it. But I think it's just, um, I think my business partner definitely put them up to it because uh, everybody got a good laugh at me. But um, those are my hands in the video. Um, that's my claim to fame in this world. Uh, but yeah, I doubt we'll ever launch any of those. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say no. We learned a lot. Right. Maybe, maybe we take another, make some, take some of those lessons and apply it to another product, possibly. So. That sounds super, super interesting. You know, I, I know that, you know, a lot of these distilleries, we, we work uh, with, with Journeyman Distillery in Michigan, um, you know, for, for different projects. And, you know, they work with the Field Museum in, in Chicago with their Field Gin, um, you know, using different botanicals from, you know, from some of their exhibits and, you know, from, from days past. Um, it's really cool that you guys are kind of distilling that history. You know, you guys are taking the ingredients and taking the recipes and saying like, all right, we're going to, you know, put our own twist on it. Um, I don't know that plague water would sell very well, uh, <laughs> but it would, it would definitely be, I mean, I would, you know, I try it, right? I yeah. would too. <laughs> I mean, it was considered medicine at that time, but really, I think it was just like an excuse to get like a buzz on really. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any, anything that wouldn't, that wouldn't, uh, you know, cause you to go blind or, or kill you, you know, right. back then was probably worth, <laughs> worth drinking. 
Um, right. Speaking of grains and, and old distillate and stuff like that, um, Tattersall rye is, is to me one of the best rye whiskeys on the market, especially the cask strength, which John, you actually have right behind you. Yes, um, which is why uh, we actually plan on picking a barrel of the uh, Tattersall rye uh, later on this year. Um, you're able to achieve incredibly bold, full flavors in your bourbon and your rye for being a relatively young distillery. What do you credit as being the biggest source of flavor in your distillate? I think there's three things, namely, Bentley, our head distiller, is um, he's a master of fermentation, and he's also an absolute master of making cuts. Um, and so there, there's that. Um, and I can't discount the the grains themselves. We we get our grains from a, a local farmer. We the the rye is 100% rye, and so it's 85% AC Hazlitt rye with 15% malted rye. Um, and so you're getting obviously a lot of flavor there, and then. Uh, the biggest, maybe the biggest thing is really just time and uh, the temperature fluctuations that we like kind of manipulate in the barrel room itself. Um, you know, so you want to get that we don't go too cold, but we do, you know, get decently, I don't know, room temperature and then give it a nice blast of heat. And they, they, you know, barrels kind of expand and contract. Um, and I guess I'll add a fourth thing, which is really the, the wood and the barrels and the char and the, and, and the actual coopers themselves. Um, and so we're working with Minnesota oak. Um, we don't over char the oak. Um, so you're, you're talking generally a, a number two or a number three char. Um, you don't want to really get crazy and hide any of the, the grain flavors with, with the actual char. Um, you know, when we distill the rye, it's funny because I always think of it as such a simple product because we you know we ferment it and then we uh basically run it through a wash run on our uh, our wash still and then after that it's just a polishing run through a four plate uh pot still and again it, it comes down to how bentley how aggressive he's making the cuts um and and what he wants in there and what he doesn't um but yeah it's um in the time factor too i mean it was originally we launched it as a two-year you know, straight rye. And, um, you know, I think at that point it was like two years to the date, but now we, on average, it's probably closer to three and even pushing that. I mean, we've got barrels that have been sitting around for, for longer, which is always fun to, to taste those. And so, I mean, it's a really simple, I think it's, um, it's understanding the cuts and, and, uh, you know, really respecting the grain and the time and the temperature. So, now, when you guys, um, so uh, Nick asked, he said, you know, he said the cocoa nibs and the Tattersall rye finish for that, which I agree. I get like cocoa nib and like espresso. Mm -hmm. Is that from the barrel char or is that from the distillate? Now, you guys have, it's, what? so I went I went and bought a bottle of, of the, it was it was a Benny's pick, which is actually right behind John. Yeah, this um, one here. And I went through two of them. It was a recommendation and it was the best rye I've ever had. And I was telling people like, you have to go get this right. It's unlike anything you'll ever try again. It's just such a unique flavor profile. So with a lot of rye, I get that, you know, kind of like the spearminty, the dill, um, you know, the, the peppery bite, but with your rye, and I don't know if maybe this is from the Ace Hazlitt rye that you guys use, or if it's because it's a hundred percent rye, no corn, no wheat. How do you guys manage, um, <laughs> there's, there's Nick again. Um, how do you guys manage that flavor profile? Is it char? Is it, is, I'm not lying. I'm literally told by, told my, told by the entire Fox Valley Whiskey Society. And I think within like a week, Benny's ended up selling out of that. <laughs> yeah. Up selling out of that ride. And now that we have a group going, there's a group chat because of that ride. Yeah. The, the coconut flavor is coming from the grain. Um, I, I'm convinced that I, I can't prove that but i can taste the barrels i can taste any of them at any point and you know after a year it's lacking in personality you know it's it's a young rye and you're getting more of that wood um extraction really and um what the the grains start to come back after time i mean so like it's the first what is it three six months I forget how many months it is. Nothing actually happens. You're just extracting oak. The, the pH, it readjusts mm -hmm. itself. And once that pH naturally drops, then it starts to become like this really um, 
beautiful beast on its own and, and it, it continues to meld and change. Um, I have some theories about the amount of oxygen that, you know, cause you, you look at all things equal, you'd think that every barrel should taste exactly the same. It's, you know, from a, from a batch, right. You know, if I'm, yeah. I'm putting in one single batch, let's say we put together a 250 gallon batch and we fill up five barrels and, um, and then we just let them sit after five years, you get five different things, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what you mm -hmm. drink in when you see just a regular Tattersall straight rye or really any distillery out there is really kind of that average because you're blending it all together. When you get a single barrel, you get some, um, you get some different characteristics. The char, well, I mean, they're the same, I guess, you know, they, maybe one came off a second later than another one, but I have a theory about the amount of oxygen that's able to get in through there. Um, you know, I remember, saying to one and this is me kind of like i wasn't trying to be like pompous at all i was like let's play a game and so i had some a group in here one time going through four barrels and like and i didn't know where they come from because i walked into the tasting late and i was like can i guess where these came from I'm like because i want to test my my theory and i just kind of saw how much bleeding each barrel had done you know if there had been a seepage at all and if there wasn't um i was like I thought I'd lose some sweetness, which is exact. You know, if there or if there wasn't, there would be more sweetness. It like it mm -hmm. held it in the actual uh, barrel. And so, um, I think that there's a little bit to be said for that. Um, you know, and it's funny because I can. <laughs> there's a a guy that works with our our cooperage where he and I will talk for hours. I mean, just nerd out over barrels, which I think to the average person would be just bored. They'd be like, you guys got to be kidding me. You might as well be talking about baseball cards, which by the way, is, I think is really cool too. So, um, uh, but it's like, uh, yeah, anyways, um, I think that there's a lot of things we, we don't necessarily always know about, you know, the oxygen, the, the, angel share and things like that and how that's actually affecting the final taste you know how much volume was lost in that barrel as it mm -hmm. sat there that is going to affect flavor too so and he and i i mean we're actually we start running some insane experiments now to kind of start to test some of these theories he's like these experiments have have never been done and so and we're not the only distillery out there that are going to be working with him on it but i'm like let's do it let's get crazy let's let's really try to you know crack the code on some of the stuff just at least test our theories and you know if nothing else we get to drink about a bunch of whiskey at the end of the day so right. <laughs> what's the worst thing that can happen right <laughs> uh, a great segue into barrels john you had a you had a pretty good question here about uh, about barrel aging yeah so i, I saw that you guys uh, sell a barrel aged honey which i think is super intriguing i want to try and pick some up sometime have you guys experimented all with any other barrel aged products whether they were successful or not yeah, we've we we will barely eat anything. Um, <laughs> we've uh, so the honey is really cool. Um, in fact, I had somebody making a cocktail with it, and they're like, "Okay, so I want to make." They're using a, there's two honey products. There's just the honey, and then there's the honey syrup, and so um, and those are made uh, aged in our apple brandy barrels, actually, and so they yeah. really have a cool floral like fruitiness to them which I never noticed just having them on their own, but when you mix it in a cocktail, it just sings. I mean, it just pops, you can't miss it. Um, and so um, the apple brandy, I think that's only, the only thing we age in apple brandy barrels. Um, and then um, we've done a barrel aged soy sauce that's been sitting Ooh. in our distillery for four <laughs> years. It is the most funky looking barrel because that salt dries the barrel out. It's got like these long like stalactites hanging from it of, of you know, um, so it's thick now. It tastes like chocolate syrup. It's a salty Ooh. chocolate syrup. It's wow. so good. Um, and I don't know why we haven't done more of that because I, I don't know why we haven't bottled it yet. Uh, I think we're waiting for Wisconsin <laughs> to open and we're, we're gonna, you know, offer it there. But, uh, um, and we did, uh, we've worked with some coffee uh, spots in town where they actually, and we don't do anything there. We just give them the barrel. They'll age their uh, coffee beans in there. And then um, we'll be launching our uh, bourbon barrel aged. Uh, we use the weeded bourbon barrels um, and we'll do the weeded bourbon barrel aged maple syrup here probably in the next Ooh. month or two. Oh. So. Now will you then take that barrel 
I will do something with it. Yeah, you will. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. To I was me, wondering the same thing. <laughs> the the obvious answer to me is rum, but when you get like a group of us sitting around, you never know. Like sometimes I'm like, well, it should be rum. And so I also say something like, oh my god, that's genius. Let's do that instead. So, um, I don't know that we've actually discussed that yet. That's gonna be a fun question to ask. So, if if you age a bourbon or a rye in those, like a secondary, yeah, yeah. I'm. First in line for that. All That's right, my well, favorite way same. to finish. <laughs> there we go. Maybe, maybe we should do a, a, a rye or a bourbon in there. That'd be if you, if you do the rye, finish that rye, finished oh in a maple syrup cask at cask strength, my face would explode. Okay. I mean, it would, that would be that. There's like nothing that, that you could do that would, be, that would even be better than that. I told um, you. Nick, I told you I'd take a note during this. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, several. Right, right now, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nick, uh, Nick wants to know if you guys have ever worked with Peace Coffee at all. Do you guys? Do you guys work with any coffee roasters or any any? We work any with local businesses. We've never worked with Peace. We've worked with um, primarily Up Coffee Roasters. They're up in Northeast as well, um, and they're they're awesome. And then they bring us free coffee, so that's like really cool. Um, <laughs> And I feel like there's another coffee shop out there. A lot of times I don't even know, like one of my sales guys is like loves coffee. And so he'll just be like, like, what's this? He's like, they barrel, they uh, barrel aged beans in there. I'm like, that's crazy. You didn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you took a barrel. <laughs> um, but uh, um, I, up coffee roasters. We've never worked with peace. We've worked with up and um I'm sure there's another one or two that I'm forgetting. And I apologize to anyone in the coffee world that's, um, that I'm missing if we have, but, uh, I drink coffee religiously, but, uh, it's more for just the caffeine. Not so much yeah. I was going to say, if you're working the hours that you work, I would imagine yeah. you probably <laughs> your coffee is your primary fuel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark, uh, Mark Augustine. Hey Mark. Uh, he's, uh, wants to know is Tattersall working on any experimental and or limited edition barrels. And have you thought of doing a coffee finished bourbon in collaboration with the that's a that's a great i'm gonna make another note, make another note. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know we've never gotten a coffee barrel back actually you know so i don't know what happens to those um i'll find out the next time we do it that's a great idea um we are doing some limited edition you'll see one either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year it was a two-year rye um, that then went into um, both Ruby and Tony Port barrels. Um, and it'll be at four years. It turns four years old in August. Oh. And we'll launch it then. We're going to blend the Tawny and the Ruby together because it's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. You get kind of, of course, like that um, nutty thing from, from the Tawny and mm -hmm. then the Ruby gives it a little bit of, I wouldn't even call it fruit. It definitely gives it some color. Um, and it's, it's a little bit less pronounced of that, um, nuttiness, but, um, the port barrel age rye will be out this year. We've got some, um, so we age our, uh, I don't know when we're going to launch this. If we're going to launch this, we age our bitter orange liqueur, which is kind of like a less sweet Campari. And I'm not knocking Campari. I love Campari. Um, but it's, it's our kind of, way for us to make Negronis and, and Boulevardiers and things like that. One of my favorite products, but we, um, we threw some rye in a, a bitter, a couple of bitter orange barrels. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I think that was kind of based off of the, uh, um, somebody was aging some rye and some orange wine barrels in, in Spain. And we're like, that sounds cool, but we don't have orange wine barrels. So let's just do bitter orange barrels. Um, I think that with that cocoa flavor that comes out of the out of the rye, I think it's going to go really well together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if you go back in our distillery barrel area, which if I go back there now, we'll lose internet connection, so I can't do that. But um, and you also need a computer program to find some of these barrels. But we have some cool stuff just buried. We have a four-year-aged Amaro that's just been sitting there, and it keeps getting better and better. And I'm like, dude bottle this and, <laughs> and uh our goal was always just to have it go to one account there is actually a, an account in atlanta that was uh looking at it in fact i'm looking at the samples i was supposed to send them last week um oops but um the four-year tomorrow is really cool we've got some old fernet barrels back there we've got uh, our original corn whiskey 100 percent corn 
whiskey has been sitting in barrels since uh, 2015. And I'm not going to lie, I haven't oh, wow. tasted it. I keep hearing how good it is. And, and uh, every time they do a, a sampling, they don't uh, they don't invite me, I guess. Or I'm just out doing sales or something. <laughs> I'm the head of sales, too. That's like the thing. I, I have to be out of the office quite often. So Yeah, it sounds like you, uh, it sounds like you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, and it sounds like you guys have, you know, with everything that you have, you know, going on right now, um, you know, it sounds like you're, you're, you're kind of gearing up to, to win some more awards, which you guys are, are no stranger to. Um, in 2017, Tattersall took home best of gin at the American Craft Spirits Award for your barrel aged gin, uh, gin conditioned in French oak and white wine barrels. In 2016, Tattersall was rated as the top 10 best craft uh, specialty spirits distillery by USA Today. In 2019, Tattersall was rated number 1,632 uh, on the Inc. 5000 list of nation's fastest growing private companies. What is it like um, as a young craft distillery um, and as an owner to win these awards and then be mentioned among some of the best distilleries and just companies in the world? Um, it's invigorating for a very short amount of time. You get pumped. I mean, you're just like, yes, yes. And then it's like back to work. I mean, like, you know, we, we we're so, uh, I don't know if I want to say, I mean, we're ambitious. There's no doubt, but I, I hesitate to say it because it's just like this, this drive to keep doing things that keep this really fun and interesting for us. Um, and so we're always like, we kind of move pretty quickly past those things. I mean, as dumb as it sounds, like I, I would rather, I mean, it's more exciting to me to run into um, somebody who's super excited about our gin at like a in-store tasting at a liquor store and have a conversation about, oh, this is my, you know, daughter's favorite gin and she lives in California. I have to illegally send her bottles. I get excited about that. I'm like, yeah. I love that side of it. Um, the, the real, like the real personal conversations, um, that, that's what excites me more. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're always kind of thinking about like, not just the future, but like, how do we make this more fun? How do we make, how do we make this more sustainable? You know I mean? So like we're, we're building a second facility in Wisconsin and it's kind of our dream. We're like, if we could do this all over again, well, this is what we're going to do. And so it's going to be solar powered. It's going to have water reclamation. It's going to have um, the upcycling of the grains for, you know, taking the grains and, and making flour for human consumption. Um, there's going to be, obviously some of the grains will go become animal feed that might, you know, there was, we were talking to a bison farmer. He's like, I'll feed my bison your uh, rye grain and uh, you can serve it on your menu. I was like, cool. I mean, like, um, but so we're always just kind of, trying to do it better, more responsibly. Um, right now we're just like trying to find bottles and trying to find pallets and trying to find <laughs> cardboard. But I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah. So we're, Mary will, uh, hello, by the way, um, we're, we'll talk about the, the move to Wisconsin here in a minute, but uh, Mary wants to know with your movement to Wisconsin, do you guys have a distributor lined up to ensure your product? gets to Illinois because right now what can you what is available in Illinois let's aside from the Benny's pick of the Tattersall cask strength rye I think we actually have like 19 or 20 products available in this in in Illinois um but Mary you asked us at a very sensitive time <laughs> <laughs> my distributor in Illinois decided to stop selling spirits and I'm going to sell just beer um so I don't have a distributor in Wisconsin or I mean, sorry in Illinois as of today that will probably change tomorrow. Um, I definitely I'm talking to two distributors right now. It really it, it's this is what keeps me up at night because I was actually talking to my Illinois. We have a sales rep on the ground there that is full time with us and um, wonderful human being named Marcus who actually set this up. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, um, Marcus is like, dude, we don't have a distributor. I mean, it's been a few weeks now. And I'm like, I know we're working on it. I'm like, trust me. I'm like, this is like my life right now. I'm trying <laughs> to make the right choice too, though. Not just 
a choice, but the right choice. Right. And so um, we'll have something lined up here very quickly. I don't know if we'll have as many products available, but a lot of the products were hard to find in um, the liquor stores anyway. I think Whole Foods probably has the most um, variety of things, like the liqueurs and things like that, like mm-hmm. the sour cherry liqueur, or the creme de fleur, um, the, the, you know, in terms of spirits, the gin, the barrel-aged gin. Um, so, um, but Mary, I'm on that. I will get a distributor. The paper signed <laughs> ASAP. Um, let me make another note. Uh, yeah. Oh, and South Carolina too, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> South Carolina is a lot easier than North Carolina. Um, well, North Carolina is a control state. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, South, it Carolina, is. South Carolina is interesting uh, because in order for a restaurant or a bar to get liquor, they actually have to go to the liquor store. Yeah. They oh, go through a distributor. Yeah, so they, they go through a distributor. So we, we distri- as working for a distributor, we distribute our spirits to the liquor store, and then the restaurant goes to the liquor store to get the spirits. Yeah. Whereas beer, they go through the distributor. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's like that in Kansas weird. and Texas yeah. and maybe a couple other states as well. But yeah, that's it's very strange. Um, um, and no offense, I mean it's great, whatever. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it makes it, you know, it, ma- it makes it pretty easy. You know, a lot of these guys. I mean, we we do have a pretty good allocated market down here. We do get, you know, we get Blantons and we get Weller and we get, you know, Pappy and all that stuff. Um, the problem is, and it does go to the liquor store, but the problem is that it goes directly to the liquors from the liquor store to the restaurant, mm-hmm. and the yeah. consumer doesn't actually get to, you know, get right. to get any of that stuff. Like me, yeah. I'm forced to get shipments of olive oil from anybody that I can uh, in order to keep my to keep my collection satisfied. All the old <laughs> olive oil. There's so much yeah, olive oil yeah, gets, that gets know, sent through FedEx these days. Yeah. 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 Uh, John, go ahead with your question. Yeah. So, I mean, on the topic of distribution, a few years ago, you guys uh, opened a cocktail room at uh, MSP. Do you find that, that after doing that, you able to reach a wider audience? And is that like helped you find any opportunities for distribution through that? Um, yeah, I, I'm only hesitating because the Minneapolis uh, MSP airport was only open for about six months before it was shut down and still currently shut down. Um, so it was a long time coming. They worked, you know, the construction, all that took forever. Um, and it, cause they were, they're doing actually like building, um, a hotel and like all this stuff was going on there. And so like that was going to be connected to the airport. And so um, that didn't open until about six months before um, the shutdown. So it's still not open right now. The other thing is it was in a regional, um, basically in Concourse A, if you were in MSP airport, Concourse A is all the small flights to like Rapid City or, you know, Bismarck, North, uh, okay. North Dakota. Um and it was at the very end of that at like gate, you know, well, actually gate one, but out of like, you know, 50 gates. And um, that said, it was pretty popular. There was a there had been a place called like Skull Bar there beforehand. And it was pretty, you know, it was not busy. And um, when our spot opened up there and uh, and we don't own it, like, you know, uh, the, the uh, airport. uh who owns that now? Anyways, um, doesn't matter. Um, but they, um, we helped them with the design and the cocktails and this and that. It was doing really well. I mean, it was doing great, and so the exposure was was great. And I'll be honest, I love to reach that that audience. That's like, you know, I fly into Bismarck. I might live even, you know, twenty miles or a couple hours outside of Bismarck. I love to reach that audience, and so. Um, yeah, it was a great thing. It will open up again um, because of where it's located in the airport. I'm assuming they're going to fill all the, the you know, concourse F, which is right in the center and all that stuff first, and then kind of start to go out into the, the outer reaches of the airport. Um, and once that happens, I do have an app on my computer that gave me access to that allows me to just 
change the music anytime I want. I can oh my god! Oh yeah! <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like, why did you guys? I've never done it, but I'm just like, you know what? You're listening to Paula Abdul now. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're listening to, you're listening to playing insane clown posse today. That's what you're right. listening to. <laughs> ICP. Um, yeah, that's uh, so. Um, but that'll. I mean, hopefully, very soon here. Um, as airports, I mean, uh, are getting busy again. So um, hopefully, we'll see them open again and, and, and having guests in the bar and uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be a good thing again. So. Yeah. It seems well, like a really good opportunity. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. 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 We've uh, we, we've been talking about the, you know, the, the, the Wisconsin move um, it with Tattersall's move East um, since, since opening in 2015, Tattersall has made waves in the industry and grown by leaps and bounds in the years, years since. Now you need a new 75,000 square foot space located just over the border in Wisconsin. Um, but that's not just for production reasons. Talk to us about the restrictions placed on Tattersall in Minnesota and why moving to Wisconsin was a necessity for Tattersall's growth. And if the move opens up new opportunities for you guys at Tattersall. Yeah, the, the move, we've known this was gonna happen at some point um, for quite some time if if legislation in Minnesota didn't change. So, I mean, the past three years, um, and I'm going to credit my business partner, John, on this because he's worked very hard and very closely with the legislators, the lobbyists, uh, the Minnesota Distillers Guild, just everybody trying to get the, the laws changed. Right now in Minnesota, the law says that I can make 40,000 proof gallons a year, after which point I can keep producing, but I can't have a cocktail room. And we like that guest interaction. And so that's why we, we'd been trying to change that law for three years. And um, yeah, and and the bottle sales was a part of that too. They're like, you know, we're like, if we make over 40,000 proof gallons, like we don't, we'll give up the bottle sales. We don't care about that. Like I don't need to sell a little mini bottle directly to a customer. I can tell you to go to one of, you know, five liquor stores that are nearby um, that again are great partners of mine. And so we're like, we'll give something for sure. But like, we want to continue to, you know, generate tax revenue for you. Um, Minnesota is just a little slow to change things. Uh, I'm from here. I, I born and raised and, and I, I love it here. Um, the blue laws are never really surprised me because they're kind of normal. It's, it was normal for my first, you know, 39 years on the planet that, liquor stores weren't open on Sundays and everybody just drove to Wisconsin if they needed booze on Sundays. And I was, I was like, well, why don't you just plan ahead? You know, but, um, <laughs> um, liquor stores are now open on Sundays, um, at, with limited hours. And, uh, anyway, the, the, the state did not change their laws and we don't see it happening in time. And, um, we are hitting that we're approaching that threshold very quickly. Like we'll hit it this year. And so um, in, over the course of the past years, too, we've said no to uh, a lot of contract bottling, like people that are like trying to get up off the ground and start their own thing. Uh, they want to us to bottle. And uh, well, I'd love to say yes. I'm like, well, that will end up being a dock against us. And we can't do that because if I you know, bottle, let's say, 2000 gallons a year spirit, um, that's going to end up, you know, working against us in the long run. So. Mm -hmm. Um, Wisconsin does not have a proof gallon limit. And so we kind of, we, we always knew it was going to happen. And I think we're both a little, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not, I don't want to speak for John. I was a little afraid to like, be like, oh, we're going to do a bottling facility over in Wisconsin and then have to ship, you know, bottle it there and then ship it back and whatever. And we're like, um, we were talking to a bunch of different cities and states about this for a while now. And, um, I think we saw uh, the River Falls facility in September of last year. And it was funny because like we both roll up. He's with his wife. I'm with my girlfriend. And it's an old Shopco. And it's been abandoned for like two years. And uh, we got to go inside. And there's still cash registers and all the, the you know, every, they basically left everything except for the merchandise on the shelves. The shelves are still there. There was actually a Nintendo Switch that I think one of the construction workers took. Um, that like the, the, You'd have to take like the whole display though if you wanted to take it home. And I, like, um, But uh, I was like, um, but we walked in and I'm like, this is it. And my girlfriend's like, 
this place is a dump, dude. You're like, what are you talking about? And John's wife was also like, what are you guys thinking? John's like, this is it. I'm like, this place is amazing. But you go up and you're like, the roof is new. They've got 18 brand new rooftop units for AC and heat that I'm like, these were installed six months before they left. I mean, and the space itself is cool. And then I'm familiar with River Falls. It's a really green city. They have their own solar energy. They own their, their own power there. And so they have their own utilities. And so they have their own solar field. Um, it's on the Kinnikinnick River, which is a you know world-class trout fly fishing stream, uh, mountain biking hill, which is right next to the distillery. So they're going to extend the path right down to us. We're going to build a, a bike, you know, station there for people to fix their bikes and things like that and get water or whatever. Um, but it's just, it's so outdoorsy. It's so green and clean and, um, and it's, it's a river town. I mean, it's like that classic Midwest mm. river town. And, um, I'm so excited and I think the city's excited to have us and, uh, you know, we're kind of building our, our dream facility there. And, you know, now, you know, in, in Minneapolis, we're going to keep, we get to keep Minneapolis open now, which is amazing. Um, and uh, we're going to go uh, out there and we're going to put a restaurant in. We're going to have the outdoor uh, amphitheater and uh, there's a private room in the, in like the, it's like in a barrel room, which is cool. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like this long, you know, table, there's a classroom, which is really fun. I mean, like, I, cool. I, yeah, I get to teach, you know, if I want to teach classes or we will offer to teach classes. Um, and there's so much fun stuff we can do. Just the, the less restrictive laws in Wisconsin. Um, there's just, there's stuff we can do. Like I don't, I'm not limited to one 375 milliliter bottle per person per day. Mm -hmm. um, because we have a, um, you know, 400 person, uh, event center like weddings or whatever like we can create different products that are just for wedding packages or whatever and so um working with a really amazing hospitality group that's helped us with the design and thinking through everything um one of the guys like helped you know design safeco stadium out in uh seattle years ago and and has done a lot of that so he's like been like he put in a shop there and i'm like we need a five six thousand square foot like shop he's like absolutely he's like because we're gonna do this 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 and this i'm like oh this is gonna be so fun like, you know that's and that's why we're like maple syrup you know this that like it's like let's keep let's keep like you know creating things and mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. upcycling everything and uh so um no doubt we're having fun with it um it, the crazy thing is we we're talking today and it's always like well if we're really going to open in September, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, there's so much to do. <laughs> I was like, I said, we're going to do all these things. Uh, so we have to do them, but this means less sleep and more work. I don't know. Yeah, and more, and more note-taking. Yeah. More note-taking. Yeah, exactly. note um, we're, uh, we're up on our, we're up on our hour. Um, so as, uh, as anybody who is familiar with the show knows, I send the questions to, uh, to you, uh, beforehand. Um, so that you can kind of prepare and, and know what we're going to ask. There's always one that I leave off. Um, sometimes it's a very serious question. Some, sometimes it's really stupid. Uh, I think one time I asked, if you were a potato, how would you like to be cooked? Um, I want to I want to know, though. Yeah, <laughs> mashed potato. If I'm a mashed potato guy. Um, I want to know. So I actually I thought of two questions, but but this one is really intriguing me. Uh, Tattersall is, uh, John, if you can hold up the bottle behind you. Yeah, uh, the Tattersall uh, bottle behind you. So Tattersall is the name of that of that pattern. What what made you think of that? Why were, were you and your partners just together one day and you're like, that's a cool name? Or is there some kind of meaning behind it? Um, there's there's meaning behind it. Uh, the Tattersall pattern. We want we wanted a pattern. We knew we wanted a pattern. We knew like initially we were going to have ten products. We have ten products. I'm like thinking about the rail at the bar here. I'm like, I don't want people to get confused. So I'm like, um, if we can color code it, that was kind of where like, we're like, Oh, let's do a pattern. Well, Madras doesn't sound too cool. Um, Houndstooth sounds really cool, but that was already a distillery in, uh, uh, France that made apparently like really not, not very popular gin, but, but we, we, the, the Tattersall pattern though was, uh, a few things. I mean, like, I think it was, um, 
John's wife was a huge part and is a huge part of this company. And she, when we were like talking through the pattern thing, she's like, well, I mean, Tattersall, she's like, it's the two colors cross on a white or cream background. She's like, your backgrounds are different. John's in the banking world. You're in the hospitality world. She's like, this just kind of makes sense. It's like the convergence of your two backgrounds. I'm like, that's cool. And I was like, I hate the name though. And and so uh, uh, I, I think I slept on it and I woke up at like, and John didn't like the name either. I think we both slept on it and woke up at like, it was early. It was like 530 in the morning. I'm like texting. I'm like, dude, I thought about the name all night. I couldn't sleep. I love the name. I'm like, I didn't like it right away. I'm like, but it doesn't mean anything to most people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but it, this, you know, it comes from the horse auction, which is why there's a horse on our um, liqueur bottles and, you know, our, our high school, you know, our, our mascot, which both him, me, uh, his wife, our designer here, like a bunch of us are all like childhood friends. And so our mascot was the Mustang and um, it just like everything just kind of clicked. I'm like our first box we gin. I'm like Tattersall is a British pattern. And so that's why it's a blue and red pattern on the, uh, the gin bottle. And so just everything kept kind of falling in place. And, and that's, that's really where the name came from. I mean, at the end of the day, we always tell people it's like, it's our two backgrounds um, kind of merging to create one entity, but, I think there's just a lot more to it. I mean, at least it just makes sense in my mind with, you know, maybe not the high school mascot thing, but you know, <laughs> I've never been back to my high school since I graduated. I probably never will go, but. Same. Um, yeah. um, I want to thank, uh, uh, thank Dan Oski, founder, uh, co-founder of Tattersall Distilling for joining us on season two, episode one of The Glass Less Traveled, as well as John Whitaker uh, for his questions this evening. I uh, also want to thank all of you guys out there for uh, uh, for watching and tuning in, whether you're tuning in live or, or watching later on this evening. Uh, this evening, uh, I you know obviously I really appreciate it. Um, you know I started started this uh, during the pandemic, and it was just fun for me to do. And you know it's awesome meeting you know meeting the the people that that make the the whiskey that we drink. So and you know it's especially fun to to learn about these sorts of things. And uh, um, you know so I, uh, I I appreciate Dan you coming on with us, and John I appreciate you coming on and supporting us as well. Um, for uh, please hit the like and subscribe button if you guys are watching on YouTube. Um, you can visit Tattersall at 1620 Central Avenue Northeast Suite 120 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can visit them at tattersalldistilling.com and on their social channels at Tattersall Distilling. Uh, Dan, John, you guys got anything before we uh, before we sign off here? No, just thank no. you all. Yeah, this is awesome. Awesome. Well, everybody, thanks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to pour myself one more, one more of these, and in uh, uh, a bottle that is not does not have a Tattersall pattern on it. Dan. Yeah, we changed it. We changed <laughs> it up in uh, late last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, have a good Wednesday. Uh, have a good weekend, and we will be back. Uh, I think uh, episode two with uh, Spirits of French Look again, and then episode three with Whiskey Acres uh, again. Uh, so, everybody, cheers. Uh, you two hang out for uh, for a couple minutes. We'll see you guys next time.